Hello, Pivoters. Welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU, your podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for making a pivot away from campus-based positions in education toward other opportunities. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Stuttert pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they are giving back and supporting others doing the same. Hello, and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Stutter. And we are really excited today to bring you Chris Hess. Um, he's here to talk about his pivot and transition. And um, we're so pleased that you're willing to join us. So Chris, feel free to say hello to our listeners. Hey everybody, uh, I'm glad to be here. All right. Well, let's dive in. We would love to hear, you know, if you can just kind of summarize what is it that you did um, in campus-based positions? And then um, sort of what did you do when you left campus-based positions? What's the sort of short story of, of your, your pivot and why you made that pivot and what you're doing today? Yeah, sounds good. So um, just over 10 years ago, I think I had my 10-year anniversary at Pearson just in June. So back before that, I was an assistant professor of biological sciences at Butler University. And uh, I left academia in large part to facilitate my wife's career. So we met in graduate school and uh, she'd taken one for the team by accepting a job at a small liberal arts college right next to Butler. And, uh, you know, it's like catching lightning in a bottle to have two uh, academics that are uh, together, uh, both get a tenure track job in the same place. And it turned out to not be a really good fit for her for various reasons. Um, nothing against Marion University where she was, but it just wasn't the right spot for her. And uh, so, you know, we, we, we really discussed it. We had some major heart to hearts at night, kind of decided that maybe I'd be the better fit for leaving academia if we we're going to do that. We did look for some other places, but um, I wasn't sure that I wanted to stick with it. And so at the time, I was a faculty advisor for Pearson. What that meant was they uh, had asked me to consider using their mastering biology platform, you know, their online courseware for, for teaching science. And I got really excited about this, you know, checked a lot of the boxes that I think are important, right? It, what it had, um, they call it an office hours like experience. And I love that you like it would diagnose what a student had done wrong and it would, it wouldn't just coach them to the right answer. It would kind of help them understand their misconception. We often say that it's like an office hour, you know, like that's what, that's what I would do if a student came in and had some one-on-one -on -one time with me. And I love seeing those light bulbs go off. When that happened, I got so excited about it. I created this whole course. And, and when they came in to give the demo, they, uh, they like ended up having me do half the demo for the rest of my colleagues. And, and uh, it was really odd. I was like a faculty advisor for them within like a week or so that they, they, just, they called me in. And it, it was, it was cool because what, what I sort of identified was that I had this sort of entrepreneurial streak, you know, that I didn't necessarily think about um, when I was, when I was first, uh, you know, you, you, you trained for 30 years to be a professor and now what else would you do? And so um, Pearson started flying me around and I would, you know, I'd wear a nice jacket with, you know, elbow pads and I'd give a demo of how I use mastering biology. And I was just speaking from the heart, you know, how I use this in my class, but I, I made Pearson a lot of money, you know I mean? I, I, because I was a, I was a, what I told people in those discussions was honest. It was, you know, it was real. And, uh, 
And so when it came to the point of needing to think about a different career track and to facilitate, you know, geographic flexibility is hard to come by when you're when you're uh, an academic. Um, I said, well, what would what would happen if I wanted a job with Pearson? And so just turns out that they had a job where it was I was originally the national trainer for mastering, which just means I covered all of the the online homework systems in science and engineering. And uh, I often say that my job was mainly MacGyvering people's courses. Like you remember MacGyver who like took bubble gum and paper clips and, and made things work. You know, these, these <laughs> systems aren't perfect. And so I was good at like weighting the grades, the peculiar way somebody wanted to do. And so it was fun. I, I, I decided to work from home. You know, they were, they were fine with that for that particular position. This is way before pandemic stuff. So that worked out really well. And my wife was able to find a job and we now live in Virginia. She teaches at Radford University and we live in Blacksburg and uh, we're, we're, we're all um, pretty happy with that, how that turned out. Chris, I love that story because I think that's probably a little bit different than maybe some of the other guests that sort of made the decision and pivoted out um, is, and, and maybe didn't even have the experience sort of in that area, maybe you know a lot of our a lot of our guests and a lot of our the people that have contacted us talk about you know the transferable skills and making sure that you know they build those and they put those on the resume. You have a little bit of a different story where you actually you know almost interned for lack of a better term with the company that you would eventually work for, which is I, I think a really unique story, right? Is that and probably a really good sort of signal to folks who are listening is that. One, you know, if you're interested in potentially moving out, there's a different way in which you can start to sort of build that experience, but that it it doesn't always come with just sort of the make the decision to leave that that it could be a variety of different connections that you have. And, and, and sort of your story is really the importance of those connections, right? Yeah. It, it, and it's, you asked that, that I think of some things that I would offer as advice and that you, you already, you, uh, you nailed one. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to steal your thunder there. No, no, it's perfect. You know, one of the most important things I think you can do when you're making a decision for this is really to, to build some connections, right? I mean, LinkedIn's great for this. Um, I think you, you know, I think people are scared to reach out and, 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 uh, say, Hey, can I chat with you about, you know, your career, and I, I think, you know, you have to, you have to be willing to put yourself out there a little bit. You know, the reality is that most of us that have, especially those of us that have gone through these changes are, are willing to be pretty generous with our time. I mean, I, I specifically like put this on my calendar. I have two Pearson campus ambassadors that I like make sure that I meet with them once a month. I'm thinking Michael Brody and Gabriel Soto, you know, I, I meet with these guys and we have a meeting once a month. But if somebody reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, I'm thinking about making this transition, would you spend 15 minutes or 30 minutes with me and have a cup of coffee and discuss it? I would absolutely say yes. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say like send a you know, vague message, will you be my mentor? You know, like <laughs> say, you know, this is why I've contacted you and, and I'm thinking about making a transition similar to what you've done in the past. Can you, can you give me some advice? And I think most of us kind of wish we would have had that. And so we're willing to offer that sort of su- support, you know, I, and I have people that I've, I've done this with on my own now that are more senior people, because I also aspire to, to, to bigger things at some point. One book that I really like uh, that I read recently, I think probably a lot of people read is Think Again by Adam Grant. In that book, one of the main things he says is create a challenge network. And it can't just be a bunch of people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. 
it's going to be people that are that have some perspective and are going to tell you when you're on the right track or not. And and sometimes that's people that are more senior. And so I, I think it's really worth people to try to build these connections. You know, I didn't, I had like, if you'd have told me back in 20, you know, 2007 that I was going to work for Pearson in 15 years, I would have told you, you were absolutely insane. I thought I was going to be a grizzled old professor, you know, on Butler's campus and it's worked out well for me, but it was those relationships that I built by doing those little side things that were interesting to me that really paid off. And so I think those are those relationships are well worth fostering for people. That's really important. Well, I'm thankful you're also willing to have those conversations because since we started the podcast, I don't know about you, Tom, I haven't asked you this, but uh, I mean, we've, we, rec- we do consulting because we have had so many people ask for it. And for the first season, we offered free consulting uh, but we haven't really been able to keep up with it. And then I just get like, I, I don't even know how sometimes people get my emails, uh, email address, <laughs> but like I am getting so many per week that I'm feeling bad that I don't have time to accommodate. So I'm really thankful for folks <laughs> who, you know, come on our show because they're they're Cause, cause sometimes people do just want to like, understand like what your experience is like I actually know someone that is a faculty member that would love you know I'm like oh I've got to take that connection that would love to chat with you so um, I appreciate that and one thing I wanted to emphasize too that you shared is a, a lot of times people you know will immediately say including myself you know I I wouldn't want to be in sales you know that's not something I would want to do And I know that you did mostly training, it sounds like, or you you performed that role mostly. But I did want to highlight the fact that you noted, you know, you you believed in the product. So early on, you didn't have a problem going around and telling people about it. And I think that's something, you know, for people to lean into a little bit as well. Because if you're actually the user of OrgSync or Handshake and you're like, this is pretty cool, I mean... I would encourage people to think about, you know, maybe that is actually something you could quote unquote sell because you find it to be really useful and you could be one of the best salespeople of that product because you've actually used it um, rather than just immediately out the gate saying, no, I I wouldn't want to be a salesperson. Um, At least have like a kind of informed approach, I would say, and be open to it. Uh, But I just wanted to highlight that as something you shared it sounds like your role transitioned at least to being the training component, which also makes sense. But, yeah, but I, I yeah. think the, the sales point is a good one, Jamie, because, you know, what does Daniel Pink say? Everybody sells something or everybody sells. I, there's a, he has a book out that's really good at that. You know, when I started doing that, I had no idea that I was good at this. But, you know, when I look back in hindsight, it was like, what did I do? I got up in front of the class and I sold, you know, like convergent yeah. evolution. And I talked about adaptive radiation and Darwin's finches are cool. You know, evolutionary biology was my main thing. And then I was like, you know what? And then I was in a band for a while and I was like the main <laughs> PR guy. Like, and I was like, wait, I had all this, but I believed in the band. I was super yeah. pumped about talking about biology. And, you know, if you, if you build a product, you know, and I'm a product manager or product leader now, I guess, um, if you don't believe in that, you should go find a different product, right? Or you should build your product into something that you believe in. And then if you can't sell it, you know, there's there's a, a misconnection there. So, I, uh, Jamie, I really like your point on selling. You know, I was thinking about it. What is it? Daniel Pink has the book out, Everybody Sells. 
I think that's a, you know, it's really true. And I, when I thought about it in hindsight, I used to sell things all the time. Um, you know, I'd get in front of a class and I would talk about Darwin, you know, and I would talk about like him racing to get out the origin of species against Alfred Russell Wallace. Um, you know, in order to, I think uh, back when, when I was a professor, they asked me to do a lecture for the 150th anniversary of the origin of species. And I grew these big mutton chops, you know, just like Darwin had when he was a kid. You know, I did that because I loved it, right? And it was, there was no conflict of interest. I wasn't doing something that didn't matter. And I was a, I played in a band for a long time when I was in graduate school. And I, I did PR for the band. I loved the band. I believed in the music we were playing. I think if you believe in something, there's nothing used car salesman about it. You know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's a. Uh, it's really important to be involved in whatever company. If you leave academia, in something that you really believe in, and you know, Pearson doesn't do everything perfectly. I mean, I wish we could move faster. There's more ideas than we can execute, but I still really believe in the mission. I mean, we think about my team, and I think about creating learning experiences that are effective, efficient, and engaging. And if our, if what we're doing doesn't lead to those things, then we don't do it. But those are things worth trying to get in front of, you know, students and, and professors. And so I don't know, it never feels, uh, it never feels wrong to me to, to, to be, you know, in sales. I kind of enjoy it because you're, you're ultimately delivering something of value to somebody if you're doing it right. Right. No, I think you're right. And I, I work for a sales organization as well. And I remember when I first started, I was like, I don't know anything about sales. And the CEO said, did you or did you not work in admissions at one point? Um, and you know, it was sort of that rec- that recognition of wait a minute, yeah, I guess I did. And then I worked in orientation, which is just essentially post sales. Um, and so there, there is that. I, I think you're right. There is that initial, you know, oh, this is swarmy sort of feeling that that people get when they think of sales because you know the most interaction we've typically had with sales is the car salesperson. You're right. No offense to any car salespeople who are listening to the podcast, no. um, but I think you're right. You know, sales is part of of, of sort of every organization, regardless of where you where you are. I am curious, um, Chris, and I know you've sort of made mention to, you know, training and product. You know, when, when I look at your LinkedIn profile, which by the way, uh, for folks who are listening is a great example of a great LinkedIn profile. Uh, curious, you know, you started in one role, you've sort of had multiple roles. You're, you're now a director of product management you know, what sort of, what led to that path within Pearson? Cause I think that that's one of the things that people get nervous about, right? Is they make a pivot out and then it's like, well, what are the growth opportunities? How do I, how do I move from being an admissions counselor to a salesperson and then growing either in that company or in that field? And you've done that over the past 10 years. So I'm curious, like, what is that path that you took and, and how did you do it? Why did you do it? And how did you navigate sort of the internal workings of that? Yeah, good question. Um, I I think uh, some of it was forced, some of it was uh, was uh, by design. So I started off, like I think I mentioned, as the national trainer. The first shift was into a customer success manager, customer experience program manager, I think it was called, and that was a Pearson reorganization um, that went from you know having a having a, a focus on acquiring new customers as the national trainer. They let me do that because they knew that I enjoyed it. Um, to, to mostly focusing on post post sales implementation of the product and making sure that it was used correctly. So that was a lot of the figuring out how to, to get the most out of it. We definitely have an issue with giving customers a ton of choice and then them not maybe using the product as effectively as possible. So that, that's a challenge that we definitely deal with. 
Um, the biggest issue at that point, Tom, was I I enjoyed doing that, but I you know I kind of consider myself at at my core somebody who wants to make something, you know, and I was building implementation guides and things like that, which I thought were valuable, but I wasn't you know, building a product. I wouldn't call that product development. It was product support, you know, more than it was product development. And so the opportunity came up to be an acquisitions editor on the chemistry list. And um, at first I was like, chemistry, right? I'm a biology guy. I don't want to do this. Um, There's definitely a a bit of a, you know, a conflict between those two disciplines. And, uh, but it, it worked out really perfectly because as an editor, your job, and, and a lot of what we do now is similar to that um, as product managers, it's really to understand the market, right? To understand what the, the customer needs. And you have to have some level of objectivity. And, uh, you know, if I would have done that for my own discipline, I think I would have potentially been seduced by my own ideas. So I was close enough to chemistry that I was able to be objective about it, but I taught the same students. And so that was really pretty valuable. I I often got, you know, a little bit of, they razzed me a bit because I was a biologist, but they would also respect that I knew their students, right? I'd taught the same students. And so that worked out really well. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I got to work with some world-class authors, you know, sometimes them having great ideas, sometimes us having ideas together that coalesced into something really awesome. You know, I I was lucky enough to launch Pearson's first foray into biochemistry, got to kind of pull together all of the multimedia for that, make that happen. It was Pearson's science math product of the year back, I think in 2015 or something like that. Um, that was fun. I got to even do, because we were on a shoestring budget, I was the voiceover actor for some of the, for some of the interactives. It was Not really, enough. it was a super fun time to do those sorts of things. I really enjoyed that. And so, you know, I kind of moved up the ranks on that learning more. I do a lot of upskilling outside of, uh, outside of this. So I think, you know, Pearson's tagline used to be always learning. I think we're Andy Bird's going to come up with a new one sometime, but I still think always learning is a a great idea. So, you know, I've I've done coursework in data analytics, UX design, all sorts of different things to think about how can I be more effective in building product, right? That's what I think about ultimately. And every new position that I've elected to take has always been, how can I make a bigger impact? Where can I move in order to reach more students and to, to help more faculty. That's what I think about the most. You know, I taught 75 kids a semester at Butler. Some of those kids were like amazing. And I would go out. I remember one, one student and I used to spend time like uh, slogging through the swamps of Indiana looking for tree frogs, right? And he's going to, I think he's probably finishing up his PhD right now. I mean, I made a huge impact on that one student, but that was 75 kids a semester. So now on the various platforms I work on, you know, I reach a million students a year. So that feels really good. I feel really good about making that shift. So yeah, the most recent change was to to go from being a, an editor to being a we switched to product management a couple of years ago and during that reorganization we all had to find our new place and I fell into a promotion. So now I lead a team that handles chemistry, physics and astronomy. And you know, I really love the coaching aspect of being the manager. You know, it's a it's a shift. I miss some of the, the details of focusing on and knowing that market better than anybody. But I'm also the type of person who really likes to think about big picture strategy a lot. I really love that. Like, what's our overall thing? And how can I help empower the people that work on my team to be the best? 
I can get them to do the things that they're best at, help them notice their weaknesses and work around those. I'm, I'm also like a certified triathlon coach. So I just like coaching generally, you know, like I love making people better around me and that vision, you know, that engaging, efficient, effective thing, that's the team model, right? So that that's the vision. How can we stay on that? How, how can we do team things near term? How can we think aspirationally? It's my job to keep them focused on those sort of things. And and I really love it. It's super fun. And so I think being the being the the product leader and 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 helping the team perform well has been really fun. And then you know that's potentially a bigger impact because now I went from you know just chemistry now to overall physical sciences. It's been really a super fun ride. And I you know I I really enjoy you know the the, the ability to make that impact. That's the that's the metric I'm always thinking about. Pivoting out of EDU, we'll be right back after this quick message. Coaching Through It is a podcast hosted by myself, Laura Pasquini, and Julie Larson. We're two former higher education professionals who made the jump to corporate life and now are learning what professional coaching is all about. Coaching Through It will offer you and explain what coaching actually is and how it might help your pivot out of EDU and support your career transition. We'll be digging into coaching tools, techniques, and resources that we find useful. Not only will you get these tools, but you'll find out what's useful for you and where you're at in your career. We're both career coaches and support transitions and pivots. And we have a number of other coaches you might want to learn from as we feature them on interviews on the pod. And let's get real. We've been friends for over a decade, so you might just hear an episode or two of us coaching one another. And a bit of real talk of what it's like to be in the world of work and how transitions and pivots happen today. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, as we'll be coaching through it. And now, back to the show. Yeah, I, I, I love that because I wholeheartedly agree, you know, with, with what I did in higher education, you know, certainly I had a few students every, every year that, you know, sort of under my purview, I wasn't a faculty member, but, you know, working in student affairs, you know, you employ students or have them sort of in your, in your sort of organization and, and you're making an impact there. But when I've moved over here into this world, the, the, corporate impact, the impact that I have on our customers is, is huge because the decisions that I make now have sort of this influence over, you know, multi, multi-segments, multi-customer layers, et cetera. Um, you know, I was going to make the comment that uh, when I first arrived at the company that I'm at now, one of the first things I did was build this pyramid of metrics. Um, and, you know, what should we be looking at in order to or to determine whether or not, you know, the, the, what we're doing has ROI for our customers and the top part of the pyramid uh, is impact. You know, are we making an impact on the things that they do? Uh, So I really appreciate that comment. And I think that that's something that our listeners sort of, sort of wonder about, right. Is, is, you know, when we go into education, whether it's faculty or student services or K through 12, we're sort of conditioned that we're going to make an impact. We're going to change the world. You know, that's the, the sort of the intrinsic motivation for going into education because goodness knows the pay is not. Um, but we go into it for that, for making that impact and, and the opportunity to move out makes us wonder, am I still going to have that impact? And I know I did. It was like, am I going to have an impact? Am I going to still have those quote unquote light bulb moments that I, that I had with students? And, and I get that just with customers. And so, um, you know, I want our listeners to hear you will have an impact, you know, and, and Chris's story is a great example of that. Agreed. Um, and yours is too, Tom, especially, especially because yours is, is non-education based as, you know, I think people, 
it's good for people to hear that. My my experience. Uh, I mean, I know it's education. I'm Tom, but you're <laughs> in, like not adjacent. You're right. not adjacent. I'm not trying to degrade what you're doing. Oh no, um, I don't. I, I don't consider that degrading at all. <laughs> okay, good. Just making sure. But Chris, I think you know we haven't had a lot of folks that transitioned from faculty into corporate on the podcast, so. I, I'd like to ask you one of our like season one common questions that we used to ask, which is like, what do you, how would you describe the differences between your previous position working on ground as a faculty member to working in corporate? Um, sort of what do you think are the, the strengths and what have been some of the challenges? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do just miss a college campus. You know, I get to go do that occasionally now, but I mean, it was, a, it was a lot of, you know, freedom to make your own, you know, like schedule and whatnot. I mean, I had to teach classes, but I had a lot of freedom and I, you know, it's just a wonderful place. I was at Butler during the time when uh, Brad Stevens was the basketball coach, you know, it was a, they made two national title games. It was really a fun time to be there. You know, you go to a basketball game at Hinkle field house on Saturday and actual windows are there with light streaming on the court. It's a beautiful. I think beautiful that's what, place. that's what Tom calls the hubbub of the college campus. Yeah, when I'm making fun of him. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I still love it. I, and I miss it, but I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I didn't have a really healthy work life balance back then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they do what I was doing, measure their success on, you know, how many nature or science papers or, you know, journal of evolution that you publish. And I, I'm not going to denigrate those things. They're super important. And I think, you know, that's a really meaningful metric for some people, but I just didn't think that that was what I wanted to like, you know, be on my dying bed and, and, and think about, well, I got one more of them. So it's a success or not. I, I didn't feel like I was, you know, I was, I was balancing things correctly. And so, you know, I was killing myself in the lab. Um, I wasn't probably a great boyfriend to my wife now at the time. Um, and, you know, I think about how good of a dad I would have been. And I don't think I would have been particularly great because I would have been really focused on work more. So I work hard now. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, the, the balance is better. Like I spend more time on exercise. I spend more time on family. Um, all those things. And maybe it's because I'm older and wiser now, partly, and I can manage my time to a degree. But I don't think that was totally it. A lot of my friends I, I see now that, you know, I'll, I'll go, I'll occasionally go to one of my wife's like uh, scientific meetings and they all see me and they're like, geez, you look like healthier than you did 10 years ago. My wife often jokes that I'm like, kind of like Benjamin Button and I'm aging in reverse. I did lose all my hair, but I think that was happening anyway, you know, re- regardless of, uh, of uh, what happened with Pearson or academia. But, you know, I'm in a better place um, mentally physically, emotionally, um, because I have a better balance. And, and, and like I said, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that's right for everybody. You know, like being a professor is a fantastic job. I, I'm married to one. I think sometimes she's envious of my ability to balance things. Um, but, but uh, you know, it was the right thing for me. Um, and it was really hard to let go of that because I'd spent 30 years either being a professor or trying to become a professor. And I was really scared when I left, you know, it was like, uh, uh, in many ways it felt like I'd let down all the people that supported me. Um, so it was, it felt really selfish at the time, but, um, you know what, that impact thing is what mattered to me. And you know what, the people that 
I've been around since then, I think would, would be glad that I made that choice. And that feels good. Yeah, I know. I, I feel the same way, Chris. You know, I, I certainly there are moments where I have um, sort of, uh, you know, weekends or maybe a few evenings here or there just to, you know, sometimes just to catch up because my day might be, you know, back to back meetings and I can just delay something to the weekend and know that I can crank it out in, in an hour versus, you know, five minutes here, five minutes there. But, you know, I, I say all the time, I oversee customer education. There's no such thing as a training emergency for our customers, you know. We, we schedule the appointments, we do the trainings and they get going and they adopt our platform. When I worked in higher ed, there were emergencies and, and that, you know, brought me back to the campus and, you know, sometimes the middle of the night and, you know, the, the, the work-life balance, while I think is a is sort of a, a, a weird term, because I don't even know if there's such a thing anymore, but the, the, the way in which we sort of devote our time to things can, changes when we move into the corporate setting. You know, I say, say very often that I don't have any customers really trying to do a training or an onboarding meeting after 5 p.m. Pacific time because they're, they've moved on with their day as well. Um, and I'm not, you know, doing all the work between 8 and 5 and then at 5 o'clock switching into student activities gear. And so I really appreciate that. I think, I think we have maybe just like two more questions for you, Chris. And so I appreciate the story. You know, you, um, you know, you obviously successfully moved from faculty into corporate. You've been at the same place for a while. I'm curious if you just have any sort of, you know, um, thoughts on or, or, or um, advice on that transition uh, for folks who are moving from a campus-based position to a non-campus-based position, you know, whether that's day one or, you know, days one through 30, you know, what, what, what should they be thinking of? What should they look at? What should they ask? What should they do? Well, I, I think one of the most important things is it, you're going to feel like an imposter at first, for sure, when you get in these jobs. I mean, I I came um, from like thinking I was the master of three-letter acronyms. You know, I did PCRs and I said these MHC genes and I, you know, like I thought I knew all these things, but it, it was a whole new language um, when I got into the corporate world. So I, you know, I felt like, man, what was I doing here? But, you, you know, you, if you're coming from some education background, you're going to bring some skills that are so valuable. Lean into those and and find somebody who is a you know a kind soul who will help you with those things. I don't think it's again like kind of back to the mentor thing. Like, don't feel bad about asking for help. You know, I mean, Simon Simon Sinek says this all the time. There's no like ask questions. People actually like you to ask questions. You know, you don't think that they do, but it's. There's nothing wrong with being curious. That's all it is. And, and that's the most important thing in terms of like impacting your success is like figure out what needs to be done and be curious about it. And I think that's, that'll help a ton. And I think you guys did want to say something about, um, you know, when you're going through the process of searching, um, the negotiation part of it, I'll, I'll tell you that this was one that I completely failed at. I mean, they knew they knew what I made uh, because it was public record. And, and this goes back to, you know, thinking about your transferable skills. I would say, you know, as much as you can, don't, don't give them a number of what you're looking for. Um, let them give you a number. And then if they offer you a job, try to get a little bit more because if they want you, you're, you're worth it. Um, you know, they're very unlikely to, to tell you no at that point. They might say, well, this is our this is the best we can do. It doesn't hurt to ask. And I, you know, I, I did not know how to negotiate <laughs> when I first started um, in, in the corporate world. I mean, that's something I've had to work on, but I think the main thing is, is really 
find find your cohort of people that can help you and and feel confident that you're bringing something to the table even even if you're uh you know even if you're feeling a little bit like you're you know the waves are crashing over you you're you're in a you're, you're you you were hired for a reason you know and they they want you to succeed you know the the reality is that like having to find somebody new is bad for everybody they want you to be successful and and so um, there's a there should be support there and it and you can find it maybe you know if your boss isn't the most supportive but maybe from your colleagues or whatever but I had some wonderful managers when I first started at Pearson and and still have I bounced back and forth you know when I first became an editor I had the same boss I have now you know hitch your train to somebody like that if you can is another good piece of advice find somebody who can really be um, thoughtful about your development, you know, as a, you know, this is something that I take really seriously now as a, as a leader, like my most important job is to make sure the people that I lead are successful and, you know, finding somebody who thinks that way is great. And colleagues that, that feel like they want to support you, you know, there's a team should be diverse with ideas and skills and should add up to more than the sum of their parts. I really believe that sort of thing. And so, you know, find those sorts of things, find people that want to help. Um, and, and even though it feels hard, be more confident in what you're bringing than, than what you think you might. Well, that is a great way to end, especially because I think you've given us the title of this episode, <laughs> More Than the Sum of the Parts. Thank you for that. Uh, no, but holistically, thank you so much for this conversation. I think you've given folks a lot of things to think about as well as well as just some things that we haven't necessarily highlighted in other episodes. So um, thank you. I feel like people are going to learn a lot through your story and um, and also appreciate that you're willing to support them if they have questions. So thank you so much for your time. It was great chatting. And thank you to our listeners for listening to another episode of Civiting Out of EDU. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. For show notes and more information about the podcast, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. If you're thinking about pursuing an opportunity outside of your campus-based position or know someone who is, visit our website for advice and resources and learn Jamie and Tom's private consultations offered to support you in your journey. If you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating. 